to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Hey guys, welcome back to your Liberty home away from home, as well as my actual home here at the Lions of Liberty studios in sunny Los Angeles, California, just outside of Marina Del Rey. And man, it's a nice day here. It's a nice calm day here, but it seems that there's some crazy stuff going on in the world. If uh, if you watch the news or if you're uh, on social media, like I usually am, there's uh, apparently there's this Ebola thing that's everywhere and uh, is going to kill us all potentially. There's beheadings in the Middle East. There's all this war fever. Did I, does anyone remember that we're uh, bombing Syria? By the way, is is that kind of fallen out of everyone's minds? You know, there's just so much going on. Police violence. There's still crazy stuff going on in Ferguson. I mean, it's enough to just make you want to unplug, you know, watch the baseball playoffs, watch Monday Night Raw, whatever it is you do to distract yourself from all the nonsense and craziness and hectic stuff that goes on in the world. But you know, it's times like these that I remember why I started this show a little over a year ago and even further back why I, along with some good friends of mine that longtime listeners have met on this show, started LionsOfLiberty.com several years ago. Why I supported Ron Paul a couple times. (laughs) And it was out of a sense of seeing more justice in the world, of advancing the ideas of liberty and individual rights. And times like these, there's a lot of noise out there. It's even more important to focus on advancing ideas, to focus on engaging in rational political dialogue while all the mainstream talking heads, Ben Affleck, are screaming their lungs out. I just picked on Ben Affleck. I actually don't mind the guy. He's a decent actor, but I do remember him just screaming at the top of his lungs at Bill Maher recently. And I'm no big Bill Maher fan either, but... And I'm not even taking a side on the issue. This is a side rant, as is known to happen here. But if you watch that clip, uh, Ben Affleck's a maniac, okay? That's just all there is to it. But, you know, we need to engage in rational dialogue is the point. We need to sit down, calm down, calm down, Ben, and have an engage in rational debate. That's why I started this show. I wanted to bring people on, people I agree with, many people I don't completely agree with, and engage in a rational dialogue without all that background noise, without all the screaming, without all the hysteria. And in recent months, I've come across a kindred spirit who has sort of been trying to do the same thing, albeit in a slightly different way. And I'm thrilled to have him on the show with me today. He is the purveyor of politicalbadger.com and the host and producer of the Political Badger podcast, which you can now find on this very website, lionsofliberty.com as well. Jack Thompson, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Mark, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be on. Yeah, Jack. Well, it's great to have you uh, not just on the show as a guest, but also as a partner. Uh, you are now carrying Lions of Liberty podcast on your website as well, and we're carrying yours. So, uh, you know, it's good to uh, find someone else to connect with, find someone else that's uh, kind of doing a similar thing, starting their own project and, uh, you know, traveling along a similar path. Yeah, you know, I think uh, you had a little bit of a head start on me, and I've learned a thing or two from you, but it's it's been a very valuable partnership, and I really enjoyed working with you thus far. And uh I know I speak for you when I say I hope this turns into something uh, bigger and better. Absolutely, man. And, and there's not many people that can say that, that that can say I have a head start on them when it comes to this stuff. So <laughs> it's good to know I'm just a pace or two ahead of somebody out there. But you know, we all do things in our own way, in our own pace. And you know, you might learn some things from me, but there's a good chance I learned those things from someone else too. You know. Yeah, well, uh, it's been a fun partnership thus far, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing develops. So tell me, Jack, why don't we just kind of start at the beginning here, you know, as I, as I try to do with most of my new guests to the show, how did all this stuff start for you? When did you first get the political bug, and how and why did that evolve into your advocacy for liberty? You know, I grew up as a typical neoconservative. My father is a conservative, and I have to say, to his credit, he definitely come around to my way of thinking a lot, but... You know, I was I kind of just bought into the you know typical party line on everything. I was a big uh, big war guy. You know, I was excited for the Gulf War and uh, thought that was a pretty cool thing for some reason. And uh, you know, I always just sort of fell in line with the the party you know way of thinking. And I don't know, I, I would always get into little debates, and I was never that great at debate, but I was I had the courage of my convictions, I guess. And, uh, but 
I would always leave the debate feeling like, I don't know, like something was missing. I felt like... Um, Almost like you didn't really know what you're talking about in some ways. I'm only kind of butting in because I used to feel the same way. I used to always feel like I needed to be involved in the debate. I wanted to, I wasn't a passive person. I didn't want to just let the world go by. But at the same time, when it would really get to the core of the issues, I think a part of me started to sense that I might not really have a grasp on the issues either. Yeah, and you know, a lot of my friends growing up were liberal, um, you know, very left-wing people, and I found myself agreeing with a lot of the things they were saying, and I would sort of debate them anyway, and uh, I would leave the debate thinking, uh, man, they made a pretty good point there, but by God, I'm going to stick to my guns on this one, you know, and I just, I was pretty close-minded, and yeah, didn't really consider the other way, but honestly, in my heart of hearts, I'm I knew I agreed with my lefty friends on some things, you know, like, uh, you know, civil liberty type issues, um, gay marriage, and marijuana and stuff like that. So, you know, when I found, I guess, liberty for the first time, it was really sort of an epiphany type of experience. And I really, you know, for the first time realized what I was missing all this time. And it just all sort of clicked. And for me, it happened pretty much right after the collapse of 08. I had a friend tell me around that time that I should read one uh, of Ron Paul's books. And um, I, I ended up reading In the Fed. And that was the first book I read that had anything to do re- really with the libertarian movement. And, you know, a little bit before that, I had read um, The Big Short, which is not by any stretch a libertarian book, but uh, I was really interested in what happened. How the hell did this happen? Why does the business cycle happen? Why are there collapses? You know, I always had sort of a, an interest in the Great Depression. It was such a freak phenomenon in the scheme of things. When you look at depressions and, uh, and economic downturns, why did it last over a decade? So I was sort of looking for these answers. You know, after I ate it, I had a lot of questions. And, you know, I read the big short, which was fascinating, just to, from sort of a technical aspect. And, Interesting to see what actually happened with you know, the derivatives and the credit default swaps and all that. Pretty soon thereafter, I read Ron Paul's book, In the Fed, and I realized the Fed is really the creator of, of all economic malaise, for lack of a better term, or most of it. And, you know, from that point on, I had the bug. You know, started watching videos and reading articles and reading books and just could not get enough of it. And, uh, what are we, six years later, nothing has changed. I still, uh, I, I pretty much abandon every TV show I watch. Uh, I'm not nearly as big a sports freak as I used to be. Um, you know, I come home and I can't wait to, uh, you know, we put the kids to bed and I can't wait to read uh, my favorite website and catch up on some articles, watch a few videos, read a book and uh, educate myself. Your favorite website you mentioned there is that lionsofliberty.com, I presume, or uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I joke, of course. I'm, there's a, gr- a lot of you know great libertarian websites out there as well as your own. Yeah, I tell you, you have a great website. You have great stuff on there. You have some really good writers. You know, I have to admit, I think my favorite website. It took me a while to to realize it. I guess is uh, lewrockwell.com. It's just kind of a staple. Um, I. Even if I'm having a crazy day, I always find uh, 10 minutes to go check out the headlines and read a piece or two on there. But um, there's a bunch of other great ones out there that you know, I recommend. You know, it's funny. You mentioned there how the, the issue of the Fed and the economy is what got you into to liberty in the first place. And I find that people that come into this liberty stuff, they, they come from a lot of different ways a lot of different now I, i'm similar to you i kind of grew up in a conservative household i mean you might even say neoconservative my dad supported the gulf war both of them but what really got me personally into the liberty movement was the war issue because uh you know after 9-11 something struck with me and i just thought it was so there had to be more to why this thing happened than just what the company lined than just simply you know united states is freedom and these guys irrationally hate freedom and that's that i it just didn't make sense to me and i, I started to really think of and look into things more at that time and and i remember really being struck about maybe a week or so after the attack maybe not even a couple of days and there were all these reporters in afghanistan talking about how there's rumors of an invasion how we're going to invade afghanistan 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 i just kept hearing this over and over while at the same time i was thinking wait a minute weren't like 15 of these guys from Saudi Arabia, and it just wasn't adding up to me. So that's what really right. got me um, reading about foreign policy, reading about you know all um, the U.S. empire, all the, the kind of 
the history that has been written about extensively, but you never learn about it in school. You never hear it on the, in the mainstream media, you know, about how the United States has routinely gone in and, and funded all sorts of shady characters, including jihadis, including the kind of people that attacked us on 9-11, and, you know, how they've overthrown all sorts of governments. And this is all stuff that just blows your mind, not only because of what you're reading, but because you never heard about it before. And you're just like, wait right. a minute, how is all this going on? It's kind of similar with the Federal Reserve. You know, you saw the collapse happen. You saw all this crazy stuff going on. And then suddenly you get smacked in the face with this end the Fed book. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Why have I never heard about this before? It's so crazy. And it blows your mind so much that you're thinking, you know, if, if, I, if I haven't heard about this stuff before, well, what else am I missing out there? And that, that to me, that's what really got me digging further. And it sounds like it was similar for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's sort of what makes it so addictive, I think, for me, is that my mind is constantly being blown, especially when you learn sort of the revisionist history. You know, I, I'm a big Tom Woods fan. I listen to uh, his podcast a lot, watch videos and speeches he's made, read his books. And uh, I love to hear him tell sort of the real version of history. Tom DiLorenzo is great. I think you've had him on your show. Yeah. Um, you know, his book about Abraham Lincoln and Alexander Hamilton are incredible. A lot of folks have written about FDR and the New Deal, and it's the exact opposite of what we learn in school. And it is blows your freaking mind because <laughs> we have been so, I guess, institutionalized to believe that, hey, uh, you know, government's here to fix your problems. FDR got us out of the Great Depression. The New Deal was a wonderful thing. Abe Lincoln was the greatest president we've ever had. And when you realize that all that stuff is the exact opposite of the truth, it really is mind-blowing, and it kind of makes you thirsty for more. So that's why I just can't wait to uh, to get home every day and, and do some more digging and uh, learn some new stuff that blows our mind. And it seems like, you know, you said you were thirsty for more, and it seemed like maybe uh, you're just, we're still thirsty, no matter how much you were reading and consuming, to the point that you needed to maybe quench that thirst by starting your own project. So what was it that actually inspired you to take that extra leap beyond just educating yourself and, uh, you know, attempt to create a vehicle to uh, educate others with your own website, with your podcast? How did all that stuff come about? Yeah, I have to admit, it was the idea of my best friend, and I hadn't even considered the idea, but I was talking his ear off about this stuff nonstop. And uh, we talk a lot, me and uh, this guy, Brent. And, uh, you know, he, he probably was getting sick of hearing me. So he said, <laughs> basically, uh, why don't you put these thoughts down uh, on a blog? And, um, you know, we had a pretty long conversation about it. And he told me about some of his favorite blogs and, you know, the idea that maybe this could turn into something bigger was sort of enticing. You know, I'm sort of a goal-oriented guy, and uh, I like the idea that, uh, you know, maybe it could turn into something more than just uh, a place where I write down my thoughts. But that's how it started, and uh, I, I always loved to write. And uh, I was a decent writer uh, in high school and college, and um, always had sort of aspirations of at least making a serious hobby out of writing, and was always just, I guess, too lazy or whatever to actually do it, but this was the perfect storm. So I'm passionate about the libertarian movement, and I enjoy writing, and I uh, just kind of put it off for years. So per his suggestion, I decided to give it a try and got really good feedback from uh, you know friends and family and then started to amass a little following, and uh, that sort of gave me some confidence. And during my, I guess, path, for lack of a better term, I had reached out to several people, but one of the folks I reached out to was Michael Munger, who, you know, I'm in, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he ran for governor as a libertarian candidate in North Carolina in, I think, 08. So I, I had reached out to him. Just, he, he's an economics professor, by the way, at uh, Duke University, so obviously a smart dude. And uh, I'd reached out to him via email on a bunch of occasions, just asking him basic economic questions. And he was always very receptive and got right back to me, which I found very cool. And I had the idea of interviewing him for the blog. And he said he would prefer to do a written interview. So I uh, put some time into it, came up with a bunch of questions that I was curious about. And uh, he responded back and I put down this written interview on the blog and uh, again got some good feedback on it. And then my second interview was with Dr. Jared Casey, who's out of Dublin, University College Dublin. And uh, he's affiliated with the Mises Institute. 
wicked smart guy. And uh, so I interviewed him and uh, I recorded the call because, you know, it was going to be a, another written interview. I was going to write out, you know, kind of a summary Q&A style of the interview. But, you know, I recorded it and uh, I played it for Brent. And Brent was like, dude, this sounds amazing. You you should start a podcast. And I said, all right, uh, you know, uh, I'll give it a shot. And uh, so I released it as a podcast and I really, you know, got the bug for uh, the podcasting thing. And uh, it kind of led me to where I am now. How about you? I'm, cu- I'm very curious how you got started in the, uh, the podcast world. Yeah, well, it, w- it was similar in a way. I mean, I had started this website uh, along with a few friends of mine a couple years prior, and I had always kind of loosely kicked around the idea. I-, I started to get really into podcasts, listening to a lot of different podcasts, and I started to really think about doing one of my own or of our own at some point, but I had never really actually sat down and said, all right, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z steps to actually get there until one day I was, I was trying to write up an article about intellectual property, and I had emailed Stefan Kinsella a question about, you know, what he thought about something. I think it was relating to the Ron Paul channel and, you know, people copying his paid videos into YouTube and that kind of thing and the libertarian stance on that. And I just emailed him a question and thinking we'd conversed before, so I thought he might get a response. And and he emailed me back and said, well, yeah, I can give you a response to this, but, you know, it'd be a lot easier to just, you know, talk about it over Skype or, or phone or something like that. I was like, oh, well, okay, well, that's, that's nice of you. Uh, sure, I'll hop on. And at that point, I, he's like, yeah, we can record it for, you know, a show if you want or a podcast. And I was just like, oh, oh, okay, I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I just I really didn't have any sense of what I was doing or, or anything. I just kind of did a little Googling, like just figured out the best way to maybe record it. And I hopped on Skype with him and... Here we went, and I hit record, and I, I mean, listening to my first episode now is just, it, it hurts in some ways, because I'm, I'm not as smooth <laughs> with my questioning, um, you know, I didn't really have things mapped out in the same way I, I kind of do at this point, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it went well, we, we talked for like an hour or so, and an hour after that, it was posted up on the internet, and next thing I know, people are listening to it and commenting on it, and I'm just kind of like, all right, I guess this is episode one, and now I have a show. So it's it's kind of funny, because I had talked about it before and thought about it, but it, it sometimes it takes another person, like it did with you, uh, whether, yeah, to actually get you to do it, whether it's you talking to Gerard Casey or your friend actually saying, well, hey, dude, you have this thing recorded. Why wouldn't you make it a podcast? Uh, hello. So sometimes it actually takes that person to say that word podcast or or just to, to give you that extra push to actually take the action. Right. How do you think you've improved as, a, as an interviewer, as a podcaster? Oh, man. Um, yeah, um, I think I have improved quite a bit. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but even just listening to my earlier episodes, I, I definitely didn't have maybe as much of a grasp of the kind of questions. And I think you'll agree with this. I find it very difficult, and it, it's a really tough skill to develop, but I think I've been, over the last year or so of doing this, developing it slowly. It's a skill of of listening to someone else and taking in what they're saying as they're saying it, while at the same time thinking of what you're going to say to them next. And that thing yeah. you're thinking of next might not might change every second based on the way they're taking things and and the way you know the way they're going. You know, when I first started, I kind of had a plan for every interview, sort of like, oh, I'm going to ask about this, and it's going to lead to this, and it's going right. to lead to these six things. But then, you know, as somebody, I would get a guest on, and he would skip from uh, step two to step seven. I'd be like, whoa, hey, this wasn't the plan, but you know, he's not on my plan. He's just talking like a, like you know like a normal person. So you take it wherever it goes. Or you ask one question, and then in his long diatribe, he answers like eight of your questions you had prepared. And like, oh, <laughs> right, crap, you're what like, whoa, <laughs> now what do I do? Uh, he really he right. covered a lot of ground there, so I can't skip to the next thing because the next thing he already talked about. So yeah, and the ability to do that on the fly. Now, it's nice that I have a, a pre-recorded show, so you know I can, can ch- fix some things if I really do stumble right. and I really need to take a second to think of think of things and thanks to my wonderful editor john dobner he, he always makes it sound great for me but you know i mean god it, it's got to be even i have even more respect for the people that do this kind of thing live that do live radio and and don't miss a beat because i like to think i've developed the skill but I, i'm not at the level that you know a lot of these guys that are on for three or four hours live every single day just rolling with things and really the trick is getting to a point where I mean, my first interview, I've spoken with Stefan Cantella before. It's not like, a, you know, talking to him wasn't strange, but I still got like a nervousness about me just doing the interview, knowing I was doing something that yeah. was going to go out later to the rest of the world. 
in some ways, I still get it just a little bit. Uh, it's definitely died down to the point where it's totally natural for me to hop on the microphone and just talk to somebody. And, you know, I'm not really worried about it anymore. But there is still that little tinge of almost like microphone stage fright where you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to sound like an idiot. I have to be organized here. I have to know what I'm talking about. And that's what drives me to really be prepared for my shows. What, what about you? What kind, of, uh, what kind of preparation do you do for your guests ahead of time? And how has that kind of evolved over the course of your journey here? First of all, I mean, in regards to nerves, I mean, I I still get Now that's getting nervous. Jack, where'd you go? In regards to preparation, you know, I, I do get nervous. I still get nervous. And the nerves have definitely subsided over the course of my, uh, you know, experience with the podcasting. But, in obviously, depending on who the guest is, you know, for Paul Craig Roberts, I got very nervous before that one. But regardless of who it is, once once the podcast starts and we start talking, the nerves just totally go away and you know typically flows pretty well. I would say my I guess preparation had evolved in that, you know, early on I was ridiculously prepared. I mean I wrote down every question I was gonna ask, some possible questions I would ask. Um now I more have more of a basic outline. You know, I definitely have several questions I want to make sure that I have, and I'll make a few notes, but I'm not nearly as, I guess, um, anal about, you know, writing down every specific question. You know, it definitely flows a little more. And, you know, some of the feedback I got early on from friends and family was it was very, uh, you know, sort of robotic, and it was like question, answer, question, answer. And so I've really been trying to work on making it flow a little more, making it a little more conversational. And uh, I think not having such a concrete plan going in uh, definitely helps it flow. Yeah, because then you don't freak out so much when when things don't go according to that that you know that script or whatever. I kind of noticed the same thing, you know, as I went along and and, and the, every single week I would feel a little less nervous, but, and you're right, as soon as you actually start the call, it's fine. <laughs> After that, it's totally yeah. fine. Cause then you're just talking to another person who's generally interested in talking about what they're on to talk about, or you wouldn't be having the conversation on a podcast in the first place. So once you actually get into the subject matter, you, you forget about you know, whatever things you were worried about in, in terms of nerves. Cause there, really there's nothing to worry about. You're just talking to another dude or a woman or what have you. I mean, there are people just like you. You and I. So, you know, the, whatever minor kind of celebrity uh, fatigue might have on some of these people, they might not be celebrities to the rest of the world, but to us kind of uh, liberty weirdos, a lot of these people are, are kind of celebrities to us. So that there can be a certain intimidation factor in the first place, say, you know, when you think, oh, maybe I'll, I'll sound like an idiot or I'll ask some stupid question or, or whatever. But, you know, once you really get into it, you realize, you know, they're passionate too, you know, and that's that really helps things along because uh, it's helpful when they want to talk a lot. And usually, my guests do want to talk a lot because they've either written a book or done some kind of project where they've really poured their heart and soul into it, just like we're doing with our own projects. So just like we're right. doing right now, it's easy for us to talk about this stuff because we're really passionate about it. We don't need to do, you know, I didn't really have to do much research for this interview knowing that I'm just going to be talking to you and we're going to talk about, you know, how we came into podcasting and all that stuff. So, you know, it really just depends on the subject matter. I mean, there are interviews where I might know less about the subject matter going in. So I might, you know, right. feel the need to do more kind of hyper research so as the days to the interview approach and get closer but generally i think for anyone out there that's thinking about this that might be just too nervous like you know i don't want to talk to these people i'm afraid uh, you know it's easy for us to say oh don't worry about it but yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> don't worry about it because you know at the end of the day we're all just uh, we're all just regular joes man or johns <laughs> yeah and you know you and i had talked about this uh, a while ago when we spoke but it's amazing when you realize, wow, these people are actually willing to get on the phone with me and have a conversation. And, you know, these are people that, you know, you, you sort of idolize in a way. And I remember giving you the analogy when we spoke before, you know, growing up, I was, a, and still am, but uh, especially as a kid, just a diehard sports fanatic. And, you know, I grew up in the South, a big Braves fan. Philly's here. So, Greg Maddox, Tom Gladden, you know, Chipper Jones, these guys were, were my idols. Dale Murphy, Herschel Walker, you know, big Georgia fan. Also a Philadelphia Eagle. Um, were my idols. And the thought of, you know, getting to speak to, to a Greg Maddox and pick his brain about pitching or something would have been just like, you know, I've, I've died and gone ahead. You know, just the, the best thing I could conceive of. And now, you know, still 
big sports fan, but I'm an even bigger Liberty fan. And so when you read a book by somebody or watch a speech given by somebody or listen to interviews by somebody, and then you can actually have a conversation with them and, you know, broadcast it as a podcast. It's, it's sort of mind blowing. And, and I'm still having trouble wrapping my brain around the fact that, wow, you know, uh, Mark Faber was willing to have a conversation with me or, or Paul Craig Roberts or any of these guys. So it's kind of cool to have a passion where you can speak to the, the, the very best in that sort of sector. And that's been something pretty cool and, and fun about this ride for me. What kind of difficulties? And I kind of want to steer this to sort of help people out that might be listening, that might have been listening to your show, my show, other shows, and, you know, that might be thinking about doing their own project, doing their own podcast. So, you know, what kind of difficulties have you encountered in creating your show? You know, have you had trouble booking guests at all or the technical end? What kind of roadblocks have you had to hurdle? Do you hurdle roadblocks or I don't even know? Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Or you well, drive around roadblocks. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. You definitely encounter some roadblocks. I mean, I think, yeah, booking guests is the biggest one. Uh, you sort of go through, and I don't know if you agree, but I go through streets where everybody I reach out to is agreeing to come on the show, and it's great, and I feel like I'm overwhelmed a little bit. But then you go through stretches where, you know, you're sort of getting ignored. You know, I've gotten turned down for several interviews, which is no fun, but, you know, sometimes you're you're glad to just get an answer, you know, one way or the other. So you're sort of at the mercy of, of the people you're reaching out to. And, you know, life is crazy and you only have so much time in the day. And uh, you sort of, you know, try your best to fit in some time where you can reach out to people and do some research and, and dig up somebody's email address or phone number and reach out to them and request an interview. So to me, that's the hardest part, you know, and I, I take it so seriously that I start to kind of freak out if it's, uh, you know, I want to get a, a week to podcast out every week. And if it's, you know, Friday or Saturday and I don't have somebody lined up for next week, you know, I, I sort of hit panic mode. But then this week, for example, um, I've had, uh, including this, three different folks for the podcast. So, you know, I kind of had some uh, in the chill now, which is a nice feeling. So that's one of the difficulties. And, and you know, one roadblock that I hit that uh, I'll never forget, you know, was one of my first uh, interviews. I don't know if I told you this or not, but... I lined up uh, Tom DiLorenzo, the author of The Real Lincoln, and, among other books. And I love that book. You know, it really opened my eyes. And, you know, big Tom DiLorenzo fan. I had an interview with him, and it went amazing. And I was so excited when it was over. And I realized the software I was using malfunctioned, which was after, you know, well after the interview was over. That's the worst. And I was so devastated. I mean, to the point, I didn't cry, but I was pretty close <laughs> to crying. I was pretty, pretty upset about it. So I'm calling my buddy Brent. I'm calling my family, talking to my wife. What do I do here? You know, I was trying to remember every question I asked him, and I considered just sort of recapping it as a <laughs> By memory. Uh, interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And, um, you know, I decided to suck it up and uh, to reach out to, to Tom and tell him what happened and ask him if he would redo it. And I was so embarrassed to do that, but I did. And he was so gracious and, and understanding. And uh, he even made a joke that uh, he assumed it was, you know, that was somebody sabotaging uh, the interview. So, uh, but he, he agreed. We, we, it took a while. He was on vacation, so we took us a while to get the thing rescheduled. But we did it again, and it all turned out good. That was a pretty major hiccup uh, I had early on. How about you? What are some pickups you had? Yeah, well, I had something similar happen, um, kind of a technical end, too. I, we had a call. I was talking to Robert Wenzel, and uh, we had the call start to break up. So, you know, when that happens, I'll sometimes drop the call, call him back, and, you know, that'll usually fix the problem. So, And it did in this case. Everything sounded great when I, I picked him back up. And, you know, we talk for 15, 20 minutes, and then I look up and I realize I'm not recording. <laughs> so, we, I mean, hey, we still had a good chat for 15, 20 minutes, but I was, just, and I realize it while I'm talking to him. So I'm looking up and I'm just like, oh, God, what do I, I mean, I got to stop him from talking right now because I can't let him go on another five minutes and not being recorded. So I was just, I just said, you know, hey, Robert, I'm so, so sorry. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I did not press record. You know, it's just straight up admitted what happened. And he was so accommodating and so nice. I think, especially in his case, because, he actually told me a story off air uh, that he actually did a whole interview and, you know, didn't uh, 
didn't didn't have it recorded either. So, you know, he, he had yeah. experienced similar things doing his own podcast. So, you know, he was very accommodating and very understanding. So it's especially helpful when you have someone that's that's done that kind of thing before and they get, yeah, you know, yeah, this absolutely. stuff just happens sometimes. And, you know, luckily he's he's passionate about what he's doing too. And he was more than happy to just, you know, pick up where we left off and, and basically just repeat what he had said for the last 20 minutes. So, you know, just, it's, yeah, it's cool you. that you know, most of the people, I've never had someone flip out i have had moments that didn't didn't make air where i've i remember one time specifically um i just i had my question ready in my brain i was ready to go my guest stopped talking and i was i was silent i just could not think of what i was going to say and i was just like (laughs) i am so sorry i just need one second here because i just i completely blanked i mean you know (laughs) all, all you can really do in situations like that is just come confess, you know, come to the altar, confess and admit what happened. And people are usually understandable because, you know, everyone else, like I said earlier, we're all human. And and everyone I've talked to that's done this or done anything in life has experienced a a technical difficulty, experienced a a brain fart, if you will, where they just, your (laughs) your mind is blank. I mean, I was a black hole for like 10 seconds. I just didn't have a word to say. I was like, what's wrong with me? I just, I I knew what I was going to say. And now I have no clue suddenly uh, one second later. So, but yeah, I mean, reminds me of high school. Yeah, I was in high school. I was in a play once, and I forgot the words on stage, and I sort of uh, sort of blanked out there. And, uh, <laughs> it was the worst feeling in the world. But, uh, Reminds me of every time I try to talk to a girl for the first like uh, ten, year, <laughs> ten years, of, <laughs> ten years of doing that. You know, hey, how are you? Right. Oh crap! What the hell do I say now? <laughs> now what do I say? Right. <laughs> right. Um, what about some of your guests? Let's, let's talk about a few of the guests you've had on. Sure. I don't want you to single out necessarily one favorite and alienate people, but are there any guests that stand out <laughs> yeah, to right. you as maybe guys that you'd always hope to have on maybe for, for many years you always like looked up to or any guests that really you were maybe surprised by? And what kind of guests stand out to you as some of your favorites? Well, you know, the one person that I just that was most excited to land was David Stockman. And I've talked to you a little bit about this. <laughs> David Stockman, he agreed to do the interview. And he's rescheduled on me three times. And I know he's insanely busy, but he's kind of like, I read his book. I loved his book. My wife is sick of hearing me talk about David Stockman. I'm obsessed with his website. He's amazing. So I landed the interview with David Stockman. I think I'm gonna, we're going to have a, an interview at some point soon. But um, he rescheduled on me three separate times now. So I'm hoping uh, hopefully get, get him on the show. So that'll be for me personally the guest that I'm most excited to, uh, to sort of land. Now, honestly, uh, I think the favorite, my favorite guest I've had to this point, and I already mentioned him, was Dr. Jared Casey. And I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with Dr. Casey, but again, he's a professor at a university college, Dublin. I found out about him through uh, Tom Woods, and uh, Tom Woods had him on his show. He teaches a course or two on Woods' Liberty Classroom. But in preparation for interviewing him, I did a lot of research and I actually read his book called Libertarian Anarchy and it really opened my eyes a lot and had an amazing conversation with him, probably my longest podcast, I think over an hour long. It really made me for the first time consider anarchy as sort of a, an alternative and it's just something that's kind of like such a foreign, crazy concept to me. Uh, previous, and now it's something that I think is uh, a real answer, and he had a rebuttal to any objection you can think of. You know, the old, uh, what do you do? You know, if there's no government, how are we going to have roads? Uh, what about poor people? You know, everything you can think of, he has a well-thought-out rebuttal to that makes perfect sense, and yeah, he sort of made me realize that an anarchic society, I think, is preferable to uh, a government-run society. And so, you know, I've interviewed some other anarchic... Have you interviewed Walter Block? I have. He was, um... I don't want to talk out of turn. I believe he was episode seven? Number nine? Number nine? Well, he was one of the first guys I had in mind to uh, to want to come on. I've been reading his work for many years. And, uh, yeah, he was very accommodating. He responded, like, ten seconds after I emailed him. That was kind of interesting. Uh, you, you mentioned before you go through hot and cold streaks, because I started on a really hot streak where anybody I thought of, I emailed them, they were like, yep, we'll do it, yep, we'll do it. I was like, wow, this stuff is easy. I mean, I was getting all these people that I had I'd admired for years and years, like Walter Block, 
Glenn Jacobs, WWE's Kane. I've been a huge pro wrestling fan. I knew he was a libertarian. Dropped him an email. He, five minutes later, he's like, yeah, I'd love to do it. I'm like, I'm like, wow, this is so easy. I can't even believe this is all just happening. Right. But then I've had periods, and I've kind of been in one recently where you're just not getting anybody. And, and you know, you're, um, you're, you're I, mean, I even had more than one person agree to do an interview. And then just the follow-up is difficult. And, you know, they, they, you know, cause they, they, a lot of these people are extremely busy. A lot of them are just, you know, doing a million things, probably getting a hundred emails a day kind of thing. So it can be really frustrating. That's probably the most frustrating thing actually, when you, you get an agreement to do an interview and then the interview like doesn't land, it doesn't happen. Or, or, you know, I, I, I have confidence a lot of these will happen eventually, but you know, you think, Oh, great. This is next week's guest. And then, and then it just kind of falls off yeah. the map. So th- that kind of stuff can be frustrating, but you, you just got to kind of, it's, it's, it's just like sales. You know, you got to keep plugging away. You got to keep getting hits or knocking on doors. If you ever uh, politically campaigned door to door as I did for Ron Paul at one time. But um, you just gotta, you're going to get rejected most of the time. You have to have that mentality that nine out of ten times you're not going to hear back or they're going to say, no, I'm too busy or they're going to say, no, I never heard of you so, or, or whatever. But, you know, you, you got to keep plugging away because if you keep doing that, you will. That's how you are going to land those hits and that's how you're going to get on those hot streaks. And, you know, for every ten people that reject you, you are going to get one or two that say yes or, or maybe even more. So, you know, it's just another word of advice I would give to anyone out there thinking about doing this. Don't get frustrated. I mean, you're going to get frustrated no matter what Jack or I tell you, but try not to get too frustrated, put it in perspective, and keep sending those emails if you're looking for guests. Keep pounding out, you know, keep pounding out ideas. Don't ever stop because that's how you're going to, you know, keep your project going and that's how you're going to grow. And, and if nothing else, you grow as a person just by learning to accept the failures, accept the rejection and that kind of thing because, you know, that's just how we sort of evolve as, as individuals, if you will. I kind of got a little yeah, deep absolutely. and philosophical there at the end, but, you know, it happens sometimes. <laughs> You know, a quick question I want to ask you. Uh, have you had many folks on that you disagree with, or do you plan on doing that? That's something that's been suggested to me, and I've considered it. You know, having somebody from sort of an opposing viewpoint come on the show. I personally suck at debate, and I really don't want to lose a debate on my own podcast, so I've been kind of <laughs> resistant to the idea. But I'm curious if that's something you've done or considered doing. You know, I, I've wanted to do this from the beginning. I mean, I've, I've never had, like, somebody diametrically opposed to my beliefs. Uh, you know, at first, like yeah. I said, I was getting all these other libertarians I'd heard of. Libertarian this, that, and that. But, um, you know, as I've gone along, I've tried to get people that, I, while I'm, we might share similar views, I can find certain things we might disagree on. Even with, you know, yourself. Hey, maybe we can do this right now. Because, you know, I used to call myself an anarchist. I used to call myself, say, government's bad this and that is bad. And and one of my guests, Shane Whistler, actually sort of changed my view on that, not in the principle, but in more in the concepts and how we reflect those views because, you know, so many people will say, you know, libertarians that would have you will say government is bad and you know anarchy is good and that may or may not be true in the circumstance but what we really need to think about and I, what's become really the most important thing to me is to develop the philosophy of individual rights and to kind of take those first principles which includes the non-aggression principle absolutely and kind of develop things from there and you know if you do that well you can think well what does the word government mean it means a group of people getting together to organize the, the rules for a certain region now to Today in our world, most of that is done in a coercive manner, and mo- almost all of that is done right. violating individual rights. So yeah, I'm against almost every government that exists today for that reason. But if we're actually thinking about principles and concepts, you know, I, I think that you know, yes, it's possible for 50 or 100 property owners to live next to each other and and commonly form a set of rules that they all agree upon, or to commonly decide they're going to handle security together, that kind of thing. Now that is what you know people like you and others that are anarchists often mean when they say anarchy they will just say you know we want to call that anarchy and you know i've found that the anarchy and the no government position does scare so many people away because they're when you say that they're witnessing a world they're thinking of a world where you can't even do that where you can't even come together with other people to create you know i guess uh, systems for security systems for courts that kind of thing and you know i think we can do those things we just have to emphasize that you cannot coerce people with violence into forming those. You can't force people to operate under your system of government or system of non-government even, you know, whatever that might be. So I've, he's one person that's really helped me to focus on principles. And from that, I've come up with disagreements with my guests, you know, Adam Kokesh and I had a little back and forth about that very issue. So it's that kind of thing.
thing that I, I I really wanted to use the show to do more than just, yeah, nod, smile and nod with everybody. I definitely want to push ideas forward, and that's something I've done more and more as I've gone along. Uh, at first, it's, it's a little harder to be critical of people because I wasn't as confident in doing so, but I always do try yeah. to bring up some sort of point that – that I don't will can at least get some kind of debate on. But yeah, I, I've never had like, let's say like a complete, actually, no, you know, there was one person, Aaron Califato. I don't know the episode number offhand. 37. He is an actor. He wrote a play, a one man play for profit, all about the student loan crisis. And he is a self-described progressive liberal. Now we didn't really have a debate. We had a, a good conversation, but he is someone, right. but I think this kind of emphasizes what you're talking about at the very beginning. You know, I'm talking to him and, and yeah, by the normal, um, you know, the paradigms we live in left, right, progressive libertarian even i should disagree with everything this guy says but i find myself agreeing with so many of his points so many points now we don't agree on philosophy we don't agree on statism we don't agree on a plethora of things but during our show we were agreeing on a ton of things and we also disagreed on a lot of things so yeah i I did forget about him when he asked the question he's probably the person i probably have the most differences with if we were really to break things down issue by issue but like i said this this is one of the reasons i wanted to do the show to force myself to develop my ideas to communicate them effectively to maybe find flaws in the way I'm doing that and to kind of develop things from there. Do you kind of see yourself, uh, maybe your show evolving in a similar way? I mean, you know, there's so many shows out there, so many libertarian and liberty themed shows. Was there something that you weren't seeing out there that you wanted to kind of fill a hole with, with your show? Or, or was it more of like a personal development thing for yourself? You know, it just sort of spontaneously happened. You know, there, there's no goal in mind other than I hope this turns into something cool and, uh, you know, who knows what it grows into, you know? So, you know, you land an interview or two and then you get a little more confident and, uh, the thing sort of starts to snowball, but I wasn't, no, I wasn't trying to fill a void or anything like that. You know, I have thought lately that, you know, I'd like to somehow take it to the next level, whether it be through having folks on that I disagree with and, uh, or maybe having two guests on together to debate each other, things like that maybe make it a little bit more, uh, a little more interesting. You know what? Maybe I'll have somebody on to debate me and maybe they'll kick my ass on, on my own podcast. But you know what? That might be, that might be interesting. That might be a great podcast. Yeah, I mean, that, that'll make for great, uh, great, uh, great, I don't want to say great radio. It's not radio anymore, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. It, it, and I, I'd love to do the same thing. Maybe not have someone kick my ass, but you know, I really want to get someone <laughs> that, right you know, um, has no, maybe no concept of libertarian views or, or something like that. Somebody where I'd have to start from scratch and, and kind of see how that right. plays out. You know, it's funny also that we mentioned sticking to the script and how our guests will take us off it. Cause I had meant to ask you half hour ago, probably uh, <laughs> a question and you skipped and just talking about your guests and I got totally passive, but I do want to hit on this point before we wrap up. And I'm just curious how you came up with the political badger moniker. Oh, man. This is a... I don't know if I'll be able to verbalize this without sounding like a complete weirdo, but... Um, hey, welcome welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're all weirdos here. Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a dumb story, <laughs> how I came up with the name Political Badger, but it's sort of a, a dumb inside joke between me and some friends and my family. And it, I just personally found the word and the animal badger to be funny. And so having nothing to do with liberty, libertarian stuff at all, I would just randomly insert the word badger into terms and phrases to be funny. And all my friends and family thought I was a weirdo and just sort of became my thing. And I don't know how to describe it other than it was a dumb inside joke that I personally found funny. But um, when I had the idea for the blog, I thought, it'd be funny. All my friends and family would find it funny because I always talk about badgers. And my best friend, for example, Brent, <laughs> um, bought me a, a Wisconsin Badgers t-shirt once because he, you know, he, he heard me talk about badgers all the time. Uh, but I thought, you know, my friends and family will find it interesting or, or they'll find it funny if I call this thing a uh, political badger. And I also thought, you know, this is not a Republican website. It's not a uh, Democrat website. You know, there's no donkeys, you know, no elephants. It's uh, got to think of another animal uh, to represent the libertarians. And, uh, you know, I would like to, to take this uh, forum to formally submit the badger as the official animal of the Libertarian Party. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get the head of the Libertarian Party, Wes Benedict, on the show sometime, and I'll bring up that question. That would be my greatest contribution to the movement. They have the big... Uh, 
elephant for Republicans, you have a big donkey for uh, the Democrats, and then a big giant badger for libertarians. You got badgers and lions and all sorts of stuff. So I, I don't know why we always choose animals to associate our political <laughs> beliefs with, but it, it does seem to be a human trait that, that is uh, thorough throughout all political ideologies. Let me ask you one last question, Jack, and it might be a bit of a curveball because I didn't talk about you with this before the show at all, but I'm just going to toss it out there. Bring it on. Take out your crystal ball for a second, and if you had to just kind of envision where you see yourself, the show, the website in five years, what are you seeing? What's that ball showing you? I, that's a great <laughs> question, and one of the ideas that I've had is to, at some point, maybe make a documentary, and... I don't have any experience in it, but I just sort of feel that it would work. And, you know, my idea would be to uh, to make a documentary about the concept of anarchy and sort of explore the common notion of what anarchy is. And there are different versions of anarchy. There's, you know, there's a leftist version of anarchy. It'd be interesting to explore that, but really make, you know, the bulk, you know, two-thirds of the the documentary about the libertarian version of anarchy. I think it would be a compelling topic, and uh, you know, I think that people would be interested in it, people that aren't libertarians. I think the idea of anarchy and chaos and all that is uh, sort of appealing to people. You know, the old, uh, you know, people drive by a wreck on the interstate, and they, they have to stop and look. You know, people uh, find uh, anarchy attractive, um, at least uh, to their curiosity. And so, I don't know, it, it's an idea that I've had for a while, and I've sort of, you know, thought for a while that maybe it could work, because now I've, I've been able to talk to a lot of people within the movement and interview them, and I feel like I could amass a decent crop of folks to, to come on and participate on the documentary, but I literally had zero experience making the film, but uh, in this day and age, with technology the way it is, you know, I'm confident enough that I, that I could do it. You know, I never thought I could do a blog or a podcast, and I'm you know, my hope is that this thing keeps evolving, and I really don't know where it'll wind up, but that's one thing that I sort of aspire to, so we'll see. Well, it's currently, let's see, October 2014, so folks, look out around uh, somewhere around October of of 2019 for political badgers <laughs> anarchy documentary yeah, so we'll now see. it's on the record it's going to be on the air people are going to hear this so you're locked in my friend this consider this your your sort of uh your first moment just like your first podcast moment this is the moment that gets you rolling now that it's on record so we're going to hold you to that and maybe in five years we'll do a podcast about your documentary who knows now the pressure's on man i, I never said that publicly before it's been <laughs> sort of a, a private thought but uh, you coasted out of me you well you've been uh You've been iCloud hacked by me uh, of, your, of your thoughts, so na- now it's all out there. Jack, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was uh, a pleasure speaking with you once again, and you know I'm, I hope everybody out there will uh, take a little bit of what we've been talking about here, and anybody that's been kicking around the idea of you know of starting their own project, starting their own podcast, will kind of take this and realize, hey, we're just a couple. Normal guys too, and uh, you know, a year ago for me, and you know, months ago for Jack, we didn't know what we were doing either. And uh, if we can do it, so can you guys. So that's uh, that's my little reading rainbow, uh, Mister Rogers sign off message for everybody out there. But Jack, before we let you go, why don't you let everybody know where they can find your website, your podcast, which of course they can also find at lionsluri.com, and any other ways they can get in touch with you. It's politicalbadger.com, so you can listen to the podcast there, or you can subscribe on iTunes. So uh, either way, it will work. All right, Jack Thompson, keep up the great work, and we will, of course, talk again soon. Mark, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. All right, man. Take care, Jack. We'll be back after a little break. Do you want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy. What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul, and you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash Paul. As Ron Paul has said, There can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. 
Hey guys, Mark Claire here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media, or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Chris Rossini's new book, Set Money Free. Set Money Free. What every American needs to know about the Federal Reserve. Set Money Free. With a special forward by Ron Paul. Set Money Free. It has easy to understand questions and answers. Set Buy Set Money Free on Amazon.com. Set Money Free. Chris Rossini's Set Money Money free. Set money free. Set money free. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. All right, everybody, I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Jack Thompson, a.k.a. the political badger. And what I really wanted to do today was give people out there some insight into podcasting, all the trials and tribulations that go with it, or and a lot of the stuff can be applied to any project, whether it's a, a movie, a documentary like Jack wants to do eventually, just starting your own website. I mean, any project that you might want to start a lot of these kind of lessons about failure, messing up, reaching out to people, you know, just pushing through it, just continuing to pound away, send those emails, keep harping on people. Keep asking people for help. I couldn't do this on my own. Are you kidding me? I started to do it on my own a little bit, but I've had so much help along the way, whether it's Ron Branch writing our theme song, drawingforliberty.com to check out his work. John Dobbert, my awesome audio engineer. Thank you, Mark. My pleasure. Any of the amazing guests I've had on without my guests, this is just me rambling for 40 minutes. 40? So there's so many people, so many people that it's taken to inspire me, to help me along the way, and it's the same for you, and it will be the same for you guys if you're out there thinking about doing something similar. And in the meantime, I hope you'll at least keep tuning back to what I'm doing. <laughs> Coming back in here each and every week, each and every Thursday at lionsofliberty.com, you can find a new episode of this very show. And of course, there are many ways you can subscribe to the show. iTunes, the Stitcher Radio app. You can hear us on Daily Paul Radio, Grassroots Revolution Radio, LRN.FM, the Liberty Radio Network. There are so many platforms by which you can hear this podcast that there are really no excuses not to be listening, unless you just don't like the sound of my voice or you just don't enjoy the show at all, in which case I just don't know what to tell you because it is what it is. Whoa, that's a brilliant statement. But either way... Even if you never come back again, I still wish just one thing of you, my friends, and that is to live long and live free. (laughs) 